0: Our scripture reading today is from Acts 7, verses 44 through 50. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses, according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Are well where will my resting place be has not my hand made all these things this is the word of the lord
1: lord we thank you for your your word that lies open before us this morning We pray that in your grace, in your spirit, you would open up for us the truth that you have for us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts and minds together here this morning be pleasing to you, O Lord God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I'm going to embarrass somebody this morning. I didn't tell them I was going to do this, but... My baby girl is getting married next Saturday, right here in this sanctuary. And uh, <laughs> Breanne has been uh, part of this church in the past. She grew up in the youth group here, uh, in the children's ministries here, and it's a it's a special thing because Janet and I, 39 years ago, were also married here. And her sister was married here nine years ago. So this coming Saturday, as a family, we will, uh, we will celebrate Brianne and Anthony as they launch their new life together. As I said, Janet and I have been married for 39 years. And over the course of those 39 years, we have moved 10 different times most of which were in the early years of our marriage, not so much in recent years, and hopefully not so much in the next few years. But in those early years of marriage, we moved around quite a bit. And one of the things that we found very helpful, this marvelous invention that helped us move called the box. (laughs) Have any of you ever heard of This, In this type of moving apparatus, we were able to categorize and label things so that when we moved from one place to another, they would get in their right place and there would not be chaos on the other end. I cannot remember a single time in all of those 10 moves when I came home with a box and said, Janet, I have a box. For all of our stuff, let's get to packing. If you know my wife, you would know that she would probably fill this box and get rid of everything else that didn't go in the box and call it good. But that's a different form of moving. That's a different kind of method. I'll let her talk about that on her own sometime. Boxes help us collect things, store things. And the key to this particular type of method, which I am calling the box method, for obvious reasons, that is not patented. You can use that however you want, whenever you want, wherever you are going. The key to this is to remember to label the box. If you don't label the box, You're in trouble on the other end, especially if you have as many boxes as we have had when we have moved. They need to be marked. They need to be categorized. They need to be labeled so that there isn't confusion. You understand the contents of the box when you have a label on that as to what is inside the box. This helps us, doesn't it? But what works well in the moving experiences of our life, what works well in categorizing our stuff does not always transfer over very well when we are talking about the relationships that we have with each other. For instance, if I want to get to know Dr. Frank here, Dr. Frank Ogden's been a part of our church for a while. You don't have to stand up. You can just stay there. If I want to get to know him, I might come and say, Frank, I would love to get to know you better. Would you mind getting into this box so that I could carry you around with me for the next few weeks and periodically open the box have a conversation with you for a few minutes a day, maybe after a couple of weeks, I would get to know you as well as I possibly can. Now, that's silly, isn't it? It would take at least two or three boxes (laughs) to fully take Dr. Ogden in all of his complexities and fit them into this place. And he would be perfectly within his right to say, you can't put me in a box. You can't take all that I am, all my experiences, my body, my soul, my spirit, my mind, you can't put all of that in a box. And if he was so inclined, he might go home and take to social media and start a movement called hashtag don't box me in. What works with stuff doesn't always transfer very well when we're talking about people. When we try to categorize, when we try to to label people, and I might put on here, I might put doctor, and then I would put Frank in this box and I would say, I understand everything I need to know about Frank Ogden because I've put him in this box that I have labeled doctor. And with that label goes all of my preconceived notions as to what a doctor is, all of my experiences in the past with other doctors, and all of my prejudices go onto that label. And I put Frank into that box and I say, I have everything I need to understand this person. We categorize and we label people. And it doesn't always work very well, does it? My attempt to try and put him into that box reduces him. It makes him smaller than he is. I diminish him in my eyes so that now I can say, I know Frank. He fits very nicely into my little box I've created just for him. I know all about him. The thing about using the box method to relate to people around us is that we never really put the person's name on the box. We put labels. We put categories. And then we put the person into that box. We have categories of boxes and we tend to put people into those various boxes that we have already labeled and defined. These labels are vast and various. We all have them, don't we? Democrat, Republican, Protestant, Catholic, male, female, black, white, young, old, rich, poor, gay, straight, educated, uneducated, Christian, Muslim, born in America, born in Asia, citizen, immigrant, we have our boxes, we have our labels, and if we can take people and put them into this box, then we understand them, don't we? Or at least we think we do. I could go on with those labels all day, and the thing about all of our boxes, all of our categories, is that they are often defined based upon our prejudices, our fears, and our ignorance. You see, my understanding of a particular political party may be very different than your understanding of that party. Your view of wealth and poverty may be quite different from some of the people that Pastor Rick Reynolds works with at Operation Nightwatch. And you may find this hard to believe, but men may define women differently than women define women. Dropping people into these boxes is either our way of of understanding them or it is an excuse not to even try. You see, once we've placed someone in a particular box, we can then decide where that box goes. If it's something valuable to us, something precious to us, we might hold that box close. We might put it right by our bed so that we have ready access to the precious contents of that box. On the other hand, if we don't like particularly the contents of that box, we can put it up in the attic or in a storage unit somewhere or even throw it away in a landfill somewhere. But the boxes we put people in are never, never fully adequate to contain the unique person that each one of us are. Boxes and categories are a natural part of who we are as humans. It's how we make sense of the world. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's how we understand those people and those things that occupy this same planet as we do. We categorize so that we can understand. Scientific research is based on categorizing things so that you know how to differentiate one thing from another. It's how we oftentimes determine what's good and what's bad, what's true and what's false, what's safe and what's harmful. There is definitely a positive side to this curiosity that is innate within the human race, but there's also that negative side. Because just as this curiosity And this need to to box in things and to categorize things can bring us closer to understanding and appreciation of those things and especially those people around us. It can also lead to misunderstanding, to isolation, to abuse and even to violence. These categories can open our eyes to the wonder and awesomeness of those around us, but they can also close our eyes as we diminish, as we make smaller the people who are around us and refuse to see their inherent value. Now, just as the box method has its limitations as a method of of understanding and relating and dealing with each other, so too it has its dangers and its limitations when we apply that same method to God and to understanding who God is and to understanding how we relate to God. When we do that, when we try to, 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 to put God in some kind of box that we have created, we might just receive a tweet from God concerning the movement don't box me in where God may tweet to us and say the verse that we're looking at this morning heaven is my throne the earth is my footstool what kind of box could you possibly make to hold me hashtag don't box me in if you don't have a twitter account you can go get one and maybe get some of these from God problem is you may get some uh, from other people The biblical text that we're looking at this morning in Acts 7 is looking back to a time in the history of Israel when the symbolic presence of God traveled with the Israelites, was mobile with the Israelites as they moved around through the wilderness and then settled into the promised land. God's presence with them was especially manifest in this tabernacle, this tent of meeting where, where people would come to and draw near to the presence of God and from that place God would speak to the people. This was a mobile thing that went with them wherever they traveled, but their traveling days came to an end. And in the reign of David, David began to feel bad that he was, was living in this beautiful, ornate palace, and and God was relegated to a tent in the parking lot. And he said, I need to build a place, a dwelling place for God. And God said, Not you. Your son will do that. And so Solomon built the temple. And many believed that the actual and full presence of God dwelt in that temple, which was why worship needed to take place in or at the temple. Sacrifices needed to be made at the temple because this was the place where God lived. Later through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 66, God commented on that very belief when he said these words that were quoted again in Acts chapter 7, heaven is my throne. I dwell in the largest possible expansive place that you can imagine. Heaven is my throne. The earth is, is merely where I put my feet. What kind of house could possibly be built on that planet? that would house the immensity of my presence. Just like Dr. Frank may have been thinking, how can you possibly expect that I can fit in that box? That all of me could fit in that box, and therefore you would understand me because you have a label on that box and I am in it. So, too, God is saying, and this is from the new abbreviated version. This verse is translated, really? God says, seriously, you expect me to dwell fully in this box? Do you have any idea who I am? Now, to be fair, Solomon himself, who built the temple as God's dwelling place did not really believe that the temple could adequately contain the presence of God 1 Kings 8 27 he says but will God really dwell on earth the heavens even the highest heaven cannot contain you how much less this temple that I have built and we all say of course Of course there's no place that can contain the presence of God. And yet, we still tend to build our boxes for God. So that we can understand him. So that we can relate to him. The the mass expansiveness of God is just too much for us to handle. So we make him smaller. Smaller. We confine him to our boxes because we can relate to a box. We try to corral and contain God through our beliefs, sometimes even through our theology, forgetting that there is no container, there is no structure that can hold the fullness of, and the immensity and the, the expansive presence of who God is. There is no system of thought or theological viewpoint that can fully explain who God is. Here's where we need to be very, very careful. Because an adequate theology of God is extremely important. An adequate theology of God is actually essential in moving us toward a deeper understanding and awareness of who God is, as long as we keep in mind its limitations. It can move us closer to God. It can help us better understand the nature of God and how he relates to us, but it can never give us a full, complete, adequate picture of who God is and how he operates in the world. You know that throughout history people have often missed the presence and power of God. The work of God. Simply because what they were looking at didn't fit in their box. God was doing something out here. And it didn't fit into their label. It didn't fit into their box. And in so doing, they were able to reject what God was doing because God doesn't operate outside of our boxes. Our own Methodist heritage, our own Methodist, the Methodist movement came out of an inability of the established church to recognize that maybe God does operate outside of this box that we have placed him in. In other words, there have been times when God was doing something outside of the box and people missed it because that's not how God operates in the world. Our boxes can help us. They can even sometimes hurt us. When God comes along and tweets his message, What kind of box can you possibly construct that will give you everything you need to know and understand about who I am? How can you reduce the vastness of my presence into a particular category or box? Sometimes our boxes make God smaller in our eyes. They don't make him smaller. You cannot do that. They make God smaller in our own understanding, in our own beliefs. They make him a bit more comfortable. A little easier to understand and relate to God when we can define him. We diminish God and then can't see when God pushes outside the confines of those boxes and does something new and different. How big is your God? Or sometimes the more appropriate question is, have you made God too small? If you come to church here because you believe that God dwells here more than in any other church, your God is too small. If you believe that your particular view of God can fully explain God and his actions in the world, your God is too small. If you believe that God is partial to one form of music or worship, your God is too small. If you believe that God is a Republican or a Democrat, your God is definitely too small. If you believe that God shows preference and favoritism towards someone because of the country that they live in, your God is too small. If you encounter the brokenness that this life seems to distribute in abundance with a sense of despair and hopelessness, your God is too small. If you ever looked at another person and thought that they were beyond being able to be transformed by the grace and mercy and goodness of God, your God is too small. If you've ever felt that your own sins and failures were beyond the mercy and the forgiveness of God, your God is too small. If you've ever thought that God was unable or unwilling to help you in your time of need, your God is way too small. It all comes down to the fact that we need to let go of our tendency to corral and contain God. Sometimes we even need to let go of our obsession to explain God or even to understand God and to rest in the fact that there are just some things we are never going to get. If you would indulge me for just a moment this morning, I need to drop a couple of really big theological words into our thinking. These are not words that you use in normal conversations. These words you might not have even heard of before, but they're important words for us to understand this tendency here. The first word is ineffable. How many of you have used the word, other than Doug Strong, how many of you have used the word ineffable in a conversation recently? Ineffable. Ineffable. Theologians talk about the ineffability of God to remind us that God is incomprehensible. He is indescribable. He is indefinable. He is vast and beyond anything that we could ever fully grasp or understand. The ineffability of God. One of the most brilliant and influential theologians the church has ever produced was St. Augustine, who lived and ministered in the fourth century. One of the works that he wrote was a book on the Trinity. In fact, it was called On the Trinity. It took him years to produce this. And toward the end of his writing, Augustine was walking along the shore of the Mediterranean Sea near his home in North Africa when he came upon a little boy who was with a bucket in hand filling... Seawater in the bucket and walking up the shore to a hole that he had dug and filling the hole with this seawater. And Augustine asked the little boy what he was doing. And the boy said, I'm pouring the Mediterranean Sea into this hole. Augustine chuckled a little bit, as the early fathers were prone to do. He chuckled laughed to himself a little bit, said, my dear boy, what an impossible thing to do. The sea is far too vast and your hole is far too small. And walking away, it dawned on him that his own efforts to write about the Trinity was much like that little boy. The subject was far too vast. And his mind was far too small. That's an awareness of the ineffability of God. That there really is no language, that there really is no mind so brilliant that can explain or contain the nature of God. Two other theological words that you can use in conversation throughout the rest of the day. Imminence. And transcendence. Immanence simply means that God is intimately, intimately close to us. He is present with us, closer than our breath. And at the same time, he is transcendent. He is beyond, above all else, beyond anything that we can ever imagine. He is at the same time both imminent and transcendent here and yet beyond here. As God says through the prophet Isaiah, I live in a high and holy place, but also I live with those who are contrite and lowly in spirit, To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Here and yet beyond here. Be careful in trying to create boxes for a God who cannot be fully understood. And be careful to create in your creating of boxes for a God who is both here and yet vastly out there. We in the Western world, there's there's another word. This is a word more familiar to you, but it's a word we don't like. The word is mystery. Mystery surrounds those words. Mystery is not something that we like. We in the Western world When it comes to mystery, what what do we do with mystery? You try and solve it. A mystery is supposed to be resolved. A mystery is supposed to be solved. Riddles need to be solved. Puzzles need to be solved. But in the spiritual world of relating to God, mystery is not something so much that needs to be solved as it is something that needs to be embraced. Because it embraces us. And it is the only place where we will find rest and comfort when we are dealing with the immensity of who God is to be able to rest in that fact that this is a mystery. We're never going to get this. We're never going to fully understand this. Thomas Aquinas says that, that when we, even when we get to heaven and God is fully revealed to us, we will still not fully Grasp who God is in all of his glory. So how big is your God? What kind of boxes have you built? What kinds of labels have you put on those boxes? Are there places where you have tried to make God smaller than he is? In a few minutes during communion we're going to sing a song that begins with these words I have made you too small in my eyes O oh Lord forgive me and I have believed in a lie that you were unable to help me But now O oh Lord I see my wrong heal my heart and show yourself strong, and in my eyes and with my song, oh, Lord, be magnified. To magnify something is to make it larger. We often minimize God. Our faith can either minimize or magnify God. We often minimize Him, making Him smaller, The answer to a minimized God is to magnify him. In our worship, in our theology, in our practice, in our faith and understanding of him, we need a God who is magnified. A God who is far bigger than what we have created him to be. So what do we do with these boxes? Do we throw them out? No. Though sometimes we need to redefine the labels a little bit, don't we? But I think more times than not, when it comes to these boxes, what we simply need to do is take the lid off and let God be God outside of the box. Let God be God outside of those confines that we have created for him. Let us be able to embrace the mystery of who God is. The mystery, that's all this stuff out here. It's not mysterious in here. We've labeled him. We've crammed him into this box. The mystery lies in what God is doing out here. Are we able to magnify God in such a way that we are open to who he is. To be able to experience who he is and to be able to rest in the fact that we will never be able to explain that or understand that or contain that in any way. God is God. His name is I am. When he gave that to Moses, he could have given a whole bunch of labels. In fact, there are all kinds of names for God in the Old Testament, all of which point to an aspect of God and help us understand God in a deeper way. God simply said, here I am. I exist, I am. Do you understand that? Can anyone here fully explain that title to me when God says, I am? If you can, I think you've probably put it in a box a little bit. It's beyond our ability to understand, and so we simply embrace the vastness of who God is in the universe, in our world, in our heart, all at the same time. Let's pray together. Father as this song will lead us in a moment we do pray that you would forgive us for the times that we have with all the best intentions we can muster have minimized you in our eyes and in our faith when we have tried to put you in a container in a box Help us to hear those words anew and afresh this morning. That you exist beyond everything we can possibly imagine. What kind of container could we possibly come up with that would hold to the fullest extent your presence? And yet, you have said you dwell with the contrite and the humble and the lowly. And we don't understand that, but God, we like that a lot. So in your fullness, in your vastness, dwell with us. And bring to us all that we need to live the life that you have called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.